Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 36 of the Speaking Club podcast. It was my birthday just a couple of weeks ago, beginning of May, and uh, which means I'm well into my 40s now. And I've noticed things starting to seize up a bit. Some mornings it takes me five minutes just to get my knickers on. I reckon by the time I'm 75, it's going to take me so long to get dressed, I won't have time to go to bed. I reckon that's why old people sleep in their clothes during the day. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show and thank you for giving me your time. Well, you are in for a treat. My guest today is Margot Lightman and she is known not just for being a great story writer, but an award-winning storyteller. And she's also written a guide to storytelling, which is now in its second print, and she teaches storytelling all over the world. We get deep into storytelling and the tools and techniques Margot teaches and uses to get and keep your audience hooked. There are some fantastic tips for starting stories, adding humour and staying authentic. But before we head into the interview, I just wanted to say that if you're planning to visit Edinburgh Fringe in August this year, or you know anyone that is, and you or they are looking for something to see, well, why don't you just come and check out the play I'm in called The Amours of Lily Langtree. It's a comedy drama about one of the most notorious women in history and the secret she's keeping from her daughter. Ooh. If you want to find out more or book your tickets, the link is in the show notes. But for now, let's get on with the interview. Storyteller, comedian, writer, New York City Moth Grand Slam winner and teacher, Margot Lightman, welcome to The Speaking Club. Thank you so much, Sarah. Now, Margot, there's so much I want to ask you about the, oh, nuts, okay. <laughs> about the nuts and bolts of storytelling. But first, I wondered if you could share the journey you went on to become the storyteller you are today, because it wasn't a straight line, was it? No, and I was actually reflecting on this just about two hours ago. Um, when I was uh, turning 30, I thought I was having some sort of a crisis, but really it was that I had been doing stand-up for years and I was falling out of love with it and I felt that I had put all of this effort and time into it. And I, want, and I had started at that point telling stories on stage in some of my stand-up sets and I believed that I wanted to do that somehow for a living. And I just had no idea how to do that. And I had to basically break up with stand-up, which was one of my most emotional breakups I've ever had in my life. And, which is strange because stand-up really isn't a person and didn't care, but I cared. And then um, from that, I continued telling stories on stage and was getting a lot of success with that. So I started teaching storytelling to help others. From that, other people began their own shows, which helped build the scene in New York. Uh, and then... I, goodness, I don't even know where it went from there. Then the scene started exploding and then I started getting hired all over the place to teach people how to do this. And then I sold 
a memoir somewhere in there of my most tried stories, moved to LA, reassessed my life for a bit, then, then it was okay. And then I uh, <laughs> continued, and then that exploded even more. And then I eventually decided, wow, people love learning how to tell stories and people have had such success in their personal and stage life from this. I should, I should put my lesson plans into a book because this could help more people. And then that came out and then that, um, ended up doing very well and I have a sequel to that coming out in a year and I'm mm -hmm. going all over the place helping more people tell their stories and uh, it's been very strange but it started out with me not wanting to do my stand-up gigs and wondering why yeah interesting now I've read the book it's a very good book um one of the things that I hear because we, we operate I mean my background's in stand-up comedy and, and theater as well, okay. business as well yeah so we we it, there's some similarities there um but one of the things that I hear often is um, people don't think they've got any stories to share and they, you know, so I wondered if I could, could ask you, you know, how do you help people find stories to share? Have you got any tips on that? Yeah. Well, I think about what stories do you, are you asked to repeat often? What stories do your friends say? Oh, tell the time. Or, or if they tell you, I told my friend about this story you told me, I think that's usually a good sign. Um, more importantly, it's what moves or affects you. What, what were, you, were you really, really, truly affected by? And what are you passionate about, whether that be big or small? And I think great passion will, will drive any stories, which doesn't necessarily have to be that you have had, you know, come face to face with a, a gorilla, which I've heard the story of that, you know, <laughs> but it, I can, it can also be a story of I ate a sandwich and it was so disgusting and I had to pretend that I liked it and here are all the things I went through to pretend I liked it because I wanted to impress this date, that story's great too, you know? So it's more about passion and being moved and affected and amused by, by it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had a look at your, you know, Grand Slam winning moth story. I think it was a Grand Slam where, where you, you, <laughs> you had a, 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 an online relationship with a little man. I think well, it wasn't online. It was before online because I oh. was did. So it was a um, phone dating. Oh, that's right. Because it was a newspaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, it was like internet dating before there was the internet. Yeah. And, it, and it is very funny. Like you say, it's not like, it's not classic stand-up where it's gag, gag, gag. But it's right. just a, a sort of funny, authentic story that uses some techniques to, to you know, the incongruence and that sort of stuff and description. Yeah. But I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, thank you. I think people will find it amusing to go and check that one out. But um, <laughs> in your book, you, you, long story short, and, and I'll link also to the book in the show notes because people can go and get a copy of oh, that. Thank you. But you talk about the story zone. And I yeah. wonder if you could tell me about that. Yeah, so the story zone, I say this, this is the very first thing I say whenever I teach a workshop. It's your story should be not so safe that would bore an audience. So you don't want, it's different than an office fun fact. You know, you don't want to tell that type of a story. So you don't want to say something about, you know, wow, I just love coffee and talking about that. I mean, that's boring and no one cares. But if it's, but you should also not tell something so personal that you would only reveal it to a therapist. So I also hear stories of, I just got divorced and now I'm going to die alone and I don't know what's going to happen to me and, you know, crying on stage. So it's kind of in the middle there. You don't want to say something so safe and you don't want to say something that's over and, and overshare that you're not over it, you know, that you're, so it's not therapy. It's not a rant. It's not a list of all the reasons that you like ice cream, you know, and it's, it's not stand up comedy and it's not a political speech. And if you can think about all of those things, it's, it's a story with a beginning and middle and end that 
you care about, whether it be big or small, you know, and that's really where it lies. Yeah, exactly. I think it's got to be, you know, in some ways, you know, relatable, but this leads me on to my next question, which, I mean, you say it's important to be the star of your story, but in truth, people are more interested in their own lives. So how can we square that circle? You have to trick an audience into thinking that the story is about them. So you have to make it feel like this is everybody's story that we've all been through something, maybe not this specific thing, but a grander theme in the story. So it has to be universal. It has to have multiple points of entry, meaning that the audience member listens and says, oh yeah, that's, that's about me. That's about my life. That line she just said there applies to me. And then I always, the catchphrase is inclusive, not exclusive. So how can I include everybody in this story rather than exclude? So you, 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 you don't want to say, you, you don't want to say, where did I meet my husband? Oh, I met him on a private jet. Uh, <laughs> that's going to make everyone tune out, right? But if you say, where did you meet my husband? Well, first of all, I was just coming out of a breakup. I was, I was in my early 40s. I didn't know that I, you know, I'd ever find anyone again. I thought, I thought it was over. And then my friend, in, who's very rich, invites me to go on her private jet, which is something I've never done in my life. And I got on there. There's this other guy on. You know what I mean? Like setting it up, being authentic in that. But setting it up in ways that the way I just set that story up, I think are there are many relatable themes to it, right? Yeah. You don't want to start with a theme that no one can tap into. So if it is something that's sort of an exclusive thing, how can we tap into that? So again, like at the beginning when I'm telling you how I got into storytelling, yes, I've had a lot of success in it. I'm not going to pretend I'm not. But there was a whirlwind of failure before that. You know, there's a whirlwind of of doing stand up and thinking this is what's my passion and then, ha- and then realizing that it wasn't in a lot of turmoil before I had success. So it's like, I, I, even in that, I didn't even realize that, but like in that story that I told at the beginning, I hope that that was more accessible rather than being like, Oh, this, this nasty woman has it all, you know, like, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like, I think it's like, as you said, it's like any story, whether it's a book or a, or, or, you know, a TV program or a movie, everyone lives vicariously through the hero but the hero always has a flaw which makes them human and relatable and that's that's a similar sort of concept isn't it you've got to make it accessible to people that they can relate to elements in their own lives and that's where that multiple points of entry comes in as well yeah, and that's why all of these people have nemeses or flaws that we you know superman has kryptonite and um indiana jones is afraid of snakes you know i mean they give these superhuman people, these qualities, so we can tap in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that I particularly liked in your book was you had some tips for starting stories. And yeah. I wonder if you could share some of those uh, today. Well, first of all, take a deep breath before you talk. Um, <laughs> I thought you were talking to me then. I was just about to do it. I'm the storyteller. I'll do what and I'm told. <laughs> give a quick intro about yourself as pertains to the story. Um, is a good way to start a story. So uh, I recently told a story on stage about uh, that had to do with my Jewish ancestry. And I talked about, and the very, it was all about like going to this Jewish funeral on my father's side of the family. My father's Jewish. And I started with saying, so I took this ancestry test where you spit into a cup and you find out who you really are. And it turns out I'm very, 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 very Jewish. And then I said that, and then that informed the rest of the story about realizing how dominantly Jewish I was and then going to the story. It informed the story to follow, right? Yeah. If I was telling you a story about my dog, there's no reason to mention anything about that, right? So it's, it's brief intro as pertains to the story you're about to tell. 
And then another option of starting a story is to make a, uh, a thesis statement at the top and have your story prove that to be true. So saying something to the effect of, I'm a very neurotic person and telling the story of how you convinced yourself that uh, you had left the, the, uh, the oven on when you were fl flying across country and how you got someone to break into your house and check, you know? So then that proves that first line to be true. And those are pretty much my two best ways to start a story is that. Um, I tend to, audit, you know, start with the word so as if I'm in the middle of a thought so I can bring everyone in and I tend to have a mindset of I'm going to let everyone in this audience in on a big secret and we're all friends and we've all known each other forever. And that's the attitude that I start a story rather than making it a little bit overwritten, which is something I see a lot. What do you mean by that overwritten? Um, so for example, telling the story about my Jewish heritage and instead saying uh, something to the effect of, you know, my, my, you know, in, I don't even know the answer to this, but, you know, saying something like in, in 1842. So too much information. No, but just making it very heavy handed in a way that I didn't write, like saying 1842, cold winter's day, great, great, great grandpa comes in on the ship, comes in from Hungary, hoping for a better life for his family. My I Jewish ancestor, do you know what I mean? And then, and then talking, it's like, that to me, I would never speak like that. It's, it's, yeah, so it's, it, it, there are some parallels with stand-up here. So when I teach stand-up comedy, I say it's got to, you, you've got to learn how to write like you speak. Yes, I agree. That's, and I think that's a similar thing. It's got to be natural and conversational. And, you know, you would, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be like you're reading a book. You know, if you're, if you're an author reading a book in some sort of book store, that's appropriate, yeah. but it's not as a performance piece. Yeah. So then I had the opposite because my book before this storytelling book I wrote was a memoir. And um, when I wrote memoir, the memoir, I thought, okay, like, I've sold a memoir. I'm going to print out my stories that I tell on the stage and staple them together and turn it in. And that will be the book. <laughs> and they were like, no, you have to write. It was a completely different thing. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And what would you say from all your experience are the critical elements of a compelling story? Um, I would say passion. If you're passionate about it, I'm passionate about it. Uh, I would say number two is you have to be over it, not in it. You have to be not, you know, going through a bad relationship and considering ending it. You have to be out of it and looking back at it and telling the story about it. Um, so passion over it, not in it. I would say number three would be there needs to be some change within you. You can't really be exactly the same at the top of the story as you are at the end. And I would say four, it should be relatable in some way. Back to that universal theme thing. Yeah. 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 So, and, and it's again, it, it, a parallel. So when we say, just in case people don't understand what we mean by universal theme, mm -hmm. uh, there are some things which human beings all need help, get stuck on or need help with relationships, yeah. money, family. Uh, Identity is a big sex, one. All yeah. that good stuff. Yeah. That's what you mean, yeah, by universal theme. Yeah, the universal theme is usually something that can be said in a word or a quick phrase, like um, finding my tribe or uh, losing it all or not fitting in. Things like that can also yeah. be a universal theme as well of a story. So you can tell a whole story about this funny thing that happened to you in high school, but the universal theme might be not fitting in. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, cool. Or never finding love or something, yeah, something yeah. like that. Cool, I'm with you. Yeah. That's great. 
Brilliant. And is there a time when you shouldn't tell a personal story? I think you just touched on this, but I want to just cover this off. So I, people are clear. Yeah, if you're not over it, you know, then it, it, on stage, if you're going to perform a, st- a story on stage and you're not yeah. over it, I would say that would be a time not to. Socially, if you're not over it and you want to talk to your friends about it, I mean, who cares, you know, but um, I would say that. Um, I would also say that if you have, and I've talked about this in other interviews, but I think storytelling for actors is very beneficial in a room to be able to like say something quick. But if there's a really long line and they, it's running late, I would say maybe not the time to talk about this funny thing that happened to you with your dog on the way there. Maybe not. Yeah. But if, if, they, if they're asking you things, sure. But I would feel it out. How rushed is this person? Because you don't want to bog someone down with it. But I haven't really seen too much of a downside in telling stories. I mean, I think most people are really delighted to hear a story. Yeah. I think it was that, that point I think you were, you were making about making sure that you're over it. So if you are, I think that, you know, if you're in a relationship that's breaking up, don't talk about that. Or if you're in a stage, yeah, yeah, exactly on stage or, or if an employment relationship's going bad with your boss, get probably because you can get quite emotional, can't you? And then that, that makes the audience uncomfortable in some ways. I just feel like in life I have moments where I go, oh my goodness, I think I'm finally ready to talk about that and I finally think it's funny or I finally can look at that experience and see something bigger. But it takes a while, you know, or it doesn't. Or there's things that happen to you that week and you go, oh my gosh, this was insane. And, and then you can tell it immediately. But sometimes it takes a while. Yeah, that's that's cool. Okay, and how would you advise people to add some humor into their stories? Because it is a different animal to straight yeah. stand I mean, I think self-deprecation is great. I mean, if as long as it's not too much and, and it comes off more as insecurity, but <laughs> we're all insecure. And I'm not, I'm not judging anyone who has insecurities. We all have them, myself included. But I just mean that, uh, you know, if you can be self-deprecating in some way, I think in a, in a balanced way, I think that works. Um, I think honesty, being truly honest about how you feel about something can be really funny. Like, um, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this book, but I, I just, you know, I don't like people. I don't, I, I don't know that if I went in with a guy and he had a, a, a like a, a pet snake that he was like really obsessed with. I think that would, for me personally, I have a fear of snakes and it wouldn't be a good thing. But, you know, if I were to really go to town, be like, and then I go home and he shows me his bow constrictor and I thought, you know, and really go into what was going to my head in the most honest way. I think that could be really funny. So you have to be brutally honest. And I also feel like if you're honest, whether you like snakes or not, in the 10 seconds, 20 seconds that this person is passionately talking about it, you'll get on board with them. And then, you, you know, they're not going to change your mind, but I think you can go along for the ride. So I think pure honesty is really funny, self-deprecation, and with that, an inner monologue of what's going through your head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, commenting on what's happening around you can be really funny. I think showing what a person looks like with some sort of celebrity comparison or combination could be really, really, really funny as well. Uh, you know, he looked like a cross between Kevin Bacon and Thomas Jefferson, you know, saying something like that and like yeah. could add a lot of humor. Yeah. And cause you, you also mentioned in the book about um, sometimes when you've got some, you know, a number of characters in your, your stories, there's, there's two things that you said. One of the things that you said was give them a sort of a name that is a descriptive of yeah. what they look like. So the audience can remember them. 
Yeah. And the other thing is you said, I think if you've got a lot of characters sort of do some composite, is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, going back to the story about the Jewish funeral, I could say my Jewish cousin said this, my British cousin said that rather than saying Seth and Amy, or, you know what I mean? Like just saying those identify that those are identifying characteristics and you can just go, okay, I know who these people are. Um, composite characters is a thing that at times you can morph it into one person as long as the emotional truth is there. Yeah. So I don't want you lying about what's happened in your life, but if you go on um, three dates with, I don't know, if you go on four dates with four different bankers and they're all terrible, maybe you know you could combine two dates into one date with the same banker because what you're trying to say is the realization that you had is that you're not compatible with bankers, whatever your story is, right? Yeah. And how you get there, I don't, I mean, in the emotional truth, do not fudge. But I mean, for the sake of clarity, I don't know that I need to keep hearing about it, reintroducing all of these people. I can't keep it straight. So sometimes it's called a composite character and it's used in memoir as well when you morph people. And that's, and because and the other thing is, it's important that you keep it, you know, relatively brief, partly for the audience attention span, but yeah. these, the, the, the moths, you know, the storytelling um, evenings that you perform at, they're not long stories, are they? No, I mean, the moth is five minutes, and then a lot of other shows usually have about 10. So mm -hmm. it's usually five to 10 minutes that you get. I say people tend to tune out after 12, unless they know they're there to hear a one man, one woman show, and they know it's going to be, you're sitting for an hour listening to a person talk. I think that a person tends to zone out after a bit. Yeah. And th these moths, they're big over in America. I think there's a couple of cities in the UK that, that have got them, but it's, I, I think it's something that would be, be good if it could take off in certainly in the UK. And I don't know if they're much outside of, of the US, whether they're in Canada or Australia. The moths specifically or storytelling nights? I guess storytelling nights. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've gone to, personally, I've gone to Australia and India and Ooh taught and performed in storytelling nights in those two countries. Um, and then I had, a, my friend was just in London and Berlin and said that they were, there was strong interest in both of those places. But yeah, I do think that it might, I don't know, I could be wrong. It might be slightly bigger in America. I've only been to two uh, foreign countries to teach yeah. and perform, but I think it's just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than we think. And I think what's exciting is it's growing. And uh, I'm excited to go more places and teach more countries how to do this and build it until it takes over the world. So, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think the other reason that it's becoming more uh, widely spread is because there's, there's, there's this sort of dawning in the world of business, which I talk about here, is how important stories are in growing your business and connecting with your potential customers. So that's something, I think, which is creating this buzz Certainly, I'm I'm feeling it, and I, that might I think help to to bring it more more to the fore in the countries that don't have them. Yeah, and that's a large portion of my employment as well is going to businesses. So yeah, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, bring it bring it on over here. So I know, listeners, <laughs> go to my side. I'm I'm I actually am itching to go back to London. I haven't yeah. been in a while. Well, I might start. I, mean, I might start a storytelling evening off around uh, around here. So uh, we'll go. Yeah. Yes. And. Good. Okay. So, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned and we hear all the time, whether it's speaking on business or whatever is, is about being authentic. Mm -hmm. Now, how have you got some tips to share with, with helping with that in relation to storytelling? Um, 
Well, I think that how to be authentic is just to truthfully tell the truth. Yeah. And even if that truth isn't pretty, you'll most likely be celebrated for sharing the truth, sharing your experience, and and sharing how, how you've grown from it. And I just think it's that simple. It's about being flawed and flawed and truthful. And from that, people will see you as a pure human rather than superhuman and then tap into you and relate to you. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's is it do you find that some of your students maybe when they get up to do a story for the first time put put on a different, you know, their voice changes or yeah. they and that sort of affects how authentic they are. Is that is that fair and how do you coach them through that? Uh, they they will make a lot more jokes the first time they get up as a defense mechanism against being sincere, I think. And then by the end, they're not, they're being less joking and just letting the story tell, speak for itself. That's a great observation. Yeah. People do oh, do that's that. That's really interesting. So, okay, cool. Now, yeah. what is the process that you go through to write a story? And, and is it the same for a storytelling event versus a speaking engagement? Well, no, because a speaking engagement, I'm usually speaking about some version of the power of storytelling, however that may be. And those are an hour long and you know that's weeks of writing and prepping and and practicing in front of my husband and I'll usually <laughs> use notes for that you know and there'll be handouts and there'll be a much bigger check for that and so I'll I'll feel justified in the amount of work I'm doing to prepare for it you know so no I mean it's night and day but um the big thing is that I will use notes for a speaking engagement usually because it's so long um to prep a story Instead, I usually will see if it's tested socially, if it's something I find myself telling a lot. Mm. Um, then I'll write it word for word at first, and then I'll put notes in the margin of the most, from like, I used to do this in elementary school where things I needed to remember, the trigger words I would put in the margin. And then I go from those notes in the margin, I write a beat sheet or an outline, and then I run it, um, I drive to the show, and I tell the story in the car on the way, now that I live in LA, like a crazy person, and I tell it with feeling, and I miss the turn often because I am <laughs> and then I finally get there. And then if I need to look at anything before I look at that note sheet, the beat sheet, I don't really look at the script. Uh, when I was in New York, and I was taking the subway to my shows, what did I do before I was, I don't know what I was doing at the last, I was probably go, would go spend more time backstage running it once or twice. But now it's just the car and then I get out and I'm ready to go. <laughs> I can't imagine though, in my sort of perception of New York, you sitting there on a subway talking to yourself over and over yeah. probably wouldn't have that much of an impact on the fellow passenger. Right. I probably should have just done it for the whole subway because people are singing and dancing. Like who cares, right? I know. I'm trying to remember because I've been living in New York in a bit, but what did I do? Yeah. But now I, I really have, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say it. I have missed more turns on my way to shows uh, by telling my story on the way than I have actually just driven directly. I always, I always just get in the zone. I don't know what's going on with me. Yeah. And do you my still, best performances are then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And do you get, do you get anxious still when you're performing? You know, the uh, Tuesday of this week, I had to do a show where it was improvised monologues where people are doing improv. Mm -hmm. And then I had to step in when something from the improv inspired a monologue for me, that a story that I could do spontaneously. And there was a moment where, and also if, if the, in this show, if you don't go out 
for a bit, they'll call you back up to come tell a story off the cuff. And they were doing scene after scene after scene and nothing was coming to mind and nothing was coming to oh, mind. God. I was like, they're gonna call me up and I've got nothing. <laughs> and then Sarah, they just, the show ran out of time and I didn't get called up a third time and I was like, well, oh well. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, so I only told two stories instead of three, but I, it was great. I did not have a third. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, uh, listening to this show as well, there are um, business people who who you speaking to grow their business, and yes. I wondered if you could give some tips to people who to use some of this stuff when they're networking, for instance, if there's anything they can use there. I think it'd be mindful to not just be telling your own story at networking events and pull stories from other people, which you'd be shocked at how fascinating everyone is everyone has a story to tell and I think people are really flattered when you ask about them and also I'm always really interested in what stories others have to say so if you can pull stories from them first the others at the event first then after you hear it offer your own story as a way to connect with them oh yes uh, well no I haven't been to Australia but I but I but my I have a lot of relatives that live there you know I mean and then starting to connect in that way but then remember also remember what people have told you about themselves in within their story so that way when you bring it up again the next time you see them it really makes a difference in how this person sees you wow this person remembers that 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 uh, I like to bake isn't that amazing like I, I would maybe like to work with a person that 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 I feel a connection with in that way so for me it's about like listening which is hard yeah, yeah. listening then connecting via your own story then remembering what they said and bringing it up at the next networking event and checking back in on it. And I think people really like that human connection. And, and I don't do it in an insincere way. I really, I really enjoy having those connections with people and hearing about their stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I suppose the other thing you could do is if you do follow up by email, for instance, you yeah. could refer to that baking in the yeah. email, which exactly. lets you off the hook to remember it, whatever you remember it but, but still has that personal connection, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I find if you listen to people, you can find a connection first yeah. rather than spewing everything, bragging about yourself and your resume, hearing what a person has to say, and then um, going from there. You know, someone just asked me the other day, they said, isn't what's your name usually followed by what do you do for a living? And I go, maybe, but I'm less interested in what a person does for a living and I'm more interested in their story. So I think I may be the exception on that, but I don't really tend to care what a person's actual job is. I more care about the stories they have to tell. And um, so I, I hope I, I may not be alone on that, you know, and I think other people at a network event might be more interested in that. And wouldn't you want to work with someone who's, whose story you want to hear rather than you work with someone who you think is going to be a real snooze fest, you know? <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's true. And I, and I think pe you're, you're absolutely right as well. People love to talk about themselves and you showing interest in them is a, gives them an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to do that. That's brilliant. Okay, cool. I just wanted to go re rewind a little bit cause I, I should have followed up on this. Um, how do you, I'm assuming that people take your storytelling classes. Some of them may have anxiety and uh, I don't know if there's a showcase at the end of your, your classes. Yes. yes. How do you coach them to cope with their anxiety for, for when they're going on stage? Huh. Um, you mean stage fright? Specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I think that people are, I find if you, the more prepared you are, yeah. the less stage fright you'll have um, for the first few times. I think if you were really, really prepared, then it's less likely that it's something that's going to go awry. I also have people not be so married to their scripts, but instead have written this outline that they're going to loosely tell their story from, because also it gives you less room for a mess up. So yeah, this person might, you might skip a section, but you know what, where you need to go next rather than worrying about what's my line. Yeah. It's more memor memorizing moments of a story that you can easily come back from if you, if you lose yourself. And I think when people are less married to a script, they're less nervous and they're more open to something going wrong. Um, and then with nerves, it's just a matter of saying, I always say to people, whether this goes well, or it goes terribly, your life will be virtually the same tomorrow. So remember that. <laughs> I've never had, you know, my next day of my life be drastically different because my story killed, and I've never had the next day of my life be drastically horrible because the story didn't go well. I mean, your life is going to go on. Yeah. So That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. I, uh, I think I say to my students is, uh, look, the end of the day, you're living here, not in Syria. You really, you've got to keep things yeah. in perspective because life is... Yeah, bad. that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It's a great so, way to look at it. I don't know if it helps or they just then... <laughs> who knows, but it seems to do the trick. But um, that's cool. Thank you so, so much for those brilliant tips. Oh, thank now, you. Is there, is there anything you think we haven't covered before I go into some standard questions that I have, um, just three of them, um, that, that you think people should really know to get better at storytelling or we may well have covered it all but i have just give you this last opportunity just in case there's anything that you think yeah I didn't I think that we're all just remembering that your story matters and it deserves to be told is just a mantra just keep that in your head your story matters deserves to be told and tell it I love it That's yeah lovely. cool okay standard questions then first oh, okay. one is what is the best thing that speaking or storytelling has done for you? Uh, it changed the trajectory of my life completely. Uh, it help, helped me create a career rather than work a job for someone else. Cool, like that, brilliant. And what has been your worst gig? Have you got one in your head that's like, oh my God, I wish I never, that never happened? It's a tie between <laughs> And I'm not saying the gig itself. I'm saying there were moments caused by me on stage that happened. It's a tie. Uh, number, I have, um, I've told stories about this. I have a few teeth that never came in as a kid that I had to get like dental implants for. I never got the adult teeth for. I'm missing teeth in my mouth. And uh, I was doing a show and uh, one of my teeth fell out of my mouth. And <laughs> 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 it was that one. <laughs> just just hold on a second how did you handle that did you I handled handle it horribly it was early on in my storytelling world it was a very late night show it was a show where it was a stand-up show and they wanted me to tell a story and I said and it was like 11 o'clock and everyone was drunk so it was like they didn't even know what they were hearing they had to adjust between two different formats it's usually usually it's better if those formats are separated not always but sometimes and they were drunk and my tooth flew out of my mouth and I said, and then this drunk woman in the front just went, that's not her tooth. And I just, <laughs> at that point, I was just done. And so I just was like, oh. 
and I picked up the, the dental implant that had fallen out of my mouth and I just temporarily put it back in my mouth from the floor. And then I went on with my story and didn't acknowledge what happened. And then I saw a dentist next day and had to get a massive amount of oral surgery to get a new one put in. It was a disaster. That's one. And then two would be um, when I had a, I had to get a mole removed from my chin and then I had a bandaid on and then I had a show that night and I had a small bandage on my face, nothing major. And I was worried that the bandaid would be, would be too distracting before I went on. So I took it off and it was only a few hours since I had had this small mole removed. So it was, it was a little nervous racking. And then I told the audience, I said, I just took, I just had a derm, derm, dermatological, dermatological, uh, procedure done. I've taken the bandaid off. I said this to the crowd. I said, if anything starts bleeding, please let me know. <laughs> they all said, okay. I was mid story and I felt something liquid going down my neck oh. and I stopped the story and I said, is my face bleeding right now? And they were all like, yeah, it is. And I said, <laughs> I asked you guys at the beginning to tell me if it started bleeding and none of you, and then I started yelling at them. I go, none of you stop me. That with a bloody face, I said this. I was like, none of you stop me. Now there's blood coming down. <laughs> and I started yelling at them. And then someone brought me a tissue. And if you go to my Instagram, you'll see somewhere deep buried there, there is a bloody tissue on there. It is that I took a picture of the amount of blood that somehow came out of this tiny little thing that I had removed. It was like, and then I was like, how do I even go on everybody? I just, no one cares about my story. Now there's no way I could, at least with the tooth I went on. The bloody face, I didn't even go on, I think. I think I just called oh, it a day. Dear. Those are classics. <laughs> I could bet you the whole audience in that first one were going, I can't believe she just picked up that tooth and put it in on me. <laughs> <laughs> they were so drunk that I just was like, they don't deserve us. They don't deserve an explanation. <laughs> I was just so mad at the moment. I was like, oh. Classic. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm sure they that made very memorable evenings for those people. <laughs> cool. Um, right, last question then. Mm-hmm. There's a book called Think and Grow Rich by a guy called Napoleon Hill. Okay. And it's a great book. In that book, he has a fa- like a fantasy mastermind, which he runs ideas past that he has. And I want you to give me th- names of three people. They can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional, uh, to be your mentors and, and also to tell me why. Oh, okay. David Sedaris, because he's the living legend of modern storytelling, I would say. Yeah. I'd say Spalding Gray, because he uh, did this, I mean, in theater many t- years before any of us did. And uh, his books, his manuscripts of his plays of his monologues greatly inspired me and he's no longer living and I would love to have had a sit down with him. Um, those are two that I would say I would love to be mentored by. And the third, let's do a wild card. Um, what the question is, who would I love to be mentored by? Yeah. Who, who would you like to have in your life as a mentor and why, you know, those two make a perfect sense. And a third, it doesn't have to be for your business. It could be just for your life, but, um, pronounce his name right i i really feel a kinship towards steve buscemi and i feel like if we were in each other's lives i think we'd have a lot of fun <laughs> i think we could have drinks together i think we could eat sandwiches together i think we could talk for hours on end and i think we would laugh and i feel you know what i mean when you have like a person <laughs> you know 
I feel it. I, it's, I feel it with them. Like, I don't know. I just think he's so complicated in all of his performances that he does. There's so much there. And he's like, a, and he's a man of all these hobbies too. And I just think he's fascinating. And yeah. he's got that cheeky little twinkle in his eye. I, think. I know, I find him attractive, and I've said this to many people, and, yeah. and, and some people strongly agree with me, and some people strongly disagree with me, but I, I maintain that I find him very attractive. Yeah, no, he has got that, he would, he's the type of guy that you think, yeah, I wouldn't mind spending an evening talking to you, so good choice, yeah. good choice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Margot, um, thank you again for your time. Now, if people want to work with you, because they, you know, there may be people in America that want to work with you, or, or in other countries, or they want to book you for speaking, or they just want to find out more about you, where should they go? Just my website, there's a contact me link on that that goes to, to me, and it's www.margolightman.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-T-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, as well as to your book and also to that moth uh, YouTube thing. Um, and what about, can people find you on social media? Can they find you yeah. on Twitter? Yeah. On Twitter and, um, Instagram, Instagram under my name as well at Margo Lightman. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, Margo. Well, as I said, some brilliant tips there. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Make me laugh. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I hope to catch you live telling a story one day soon. I know. I hope to come to your country soon. <laughs> yeah, well, let yes. me know if you're coming yes. this way. Good. Yes. Thank you very much, Margo. I loved talking to Margo and I can highly recommend her book, Long Story Short, to follow on from this show. It'll be a great asset to your storytelling toolkit. And I'd also suggest you check out the video of her winning Grand Slam story, which is very funny. Uh, The link is in the show notes, but it will also um, enable you to see some of the techniques she spoke about in action. Okay, there you have it. I hope you found this episode useful and that it inspires you to use more stories in your speaking and your business. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave a rating and review wherever you're listening, whether that's Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play or one of the many other platforms. Also subscribe so you don't miss a show and share the love around. If you know someone that wants to improve, get better at speaking or develop their craft, let them know about the speaking club. There's plenty to go around. Well, all that's left for me to say is have a wonderful week and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.